Well, today we are going to wrap up our series on your prayer position uh, that we have been in as we conclude our study on the Lord's Prayer. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Matthew chapter 6 um, if you want to uh, see the passage uh, that is there. Now, the disciples simply asked Jesus, Lord, how do we pray? We don't know how to pray. How do we pray? And the moment they asked that question, Jesus launched out into telling them, here's how you should pray. And what's uh, important to remember is that Jesus did not say, pray these words. He said, when you pray, pray this way. And the only reason why I say that is because it's easy to see the Lord's Prayer as something that's mechanical. We just say this rigid, it's like a formula, it's magical, it's whatever, and we say it to feel good about ourselves. But that's just chanting words. Jesus wants more than us just chanting something. He just wants to hear from us. He cares more about what we have to say than some rigid wording uh, thing that we, that we say. So they asked him, they said, how do we pray? And he said, well, when you pray, pray this way. It's important to remember. Um, up to this point, here is what we have studied and looked at. In Matthew chapter 6, if you go back in verse 8, it says this. Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So when you pray, pray in this way. He says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have uh, forgiven our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation. That's what we have looked at up until today. God wants you to remember that when we talk to Him in prayer, we address Him as our Father. He has a relational relationship role with us. He wants us to see Him as our Father. You're not praying to some uh, removed, far out uh, deity that has no connection whatsoever with us. He is your Father. When you talk to Him, He does not want you to fear Him. He wants you to love Him. He is not up there ready to, to just let you have it when you mess up. That's the image so many people have, and, and that's completely foreign to the Bible. He is a loving, gracious Father. And that's what He wants us to remember. And His name is to be revered. It is not to be taken in vain. And it is not to be dropped loosely. It is hollowed. It is reverent. It is holy. And He wants us to remember that. There is a kingdom that's coming. That is a reminder to all of us in this room. This is not the only life that we live. There is a life that is more real, that is more happening, that is way more better, that is going on, but we don't see it. Because we're here, we're in the physical realm of God's creation. But there's a kingdom. Joe Baker, seven days ago, six days ago, went to that kingdom. 
And many of you are on your way there too. The Bible tells us too. He says, thy will be done. God has a will for all of us. He has a plan for your life. We're not just left to try to figure out, well, what does God want for me? He's told us what that is. And you will know what that is the more you get involved in the Word, or at least be involved with the fellowship of believers. They can help. He tells us to pray to Him daily for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Your needs, where are you going to live? What are you going to eat? What are you going to do? The important stuff. And then he says, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. We looked at the last week uh, prior to this message. It is important to forgive. Jesus comes right out and he says, if you don't forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Now that is, that's, that's harsh because there are some things that is borderline not ever forgivable this side of heaven. But remember when we looked at what does forgiveness mean? Forgiveness does not mean that they're off the hook. They're still going to have to answer. Forgiveness releases them. God, you just take care of this. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to harbor the anger and the resentment and the bitterness that will destroy me, that will kill me, because that's exactly what's going to happen. The more you want to hang on and get the vengeance. We forgive. Forgiveness is your ability to let it go and let God take over and you move on. That's what forgiveness is. And he says, he is assuming you will take this route. That's why he says, and forgive us our debts as we are going to forgive our debtors. If God's forgiveness can cover your sins, then surely we can do the same. And then he says, and do not lead us into temptation. God will provide a way out. Whatever it is that you are going through, whatever you are experiencing in your life, there is a way out. And then we come to the ending of the Lord's Prayer today. And in your bulletin, the first point is, but deliver us from evil. This is the Father's protection. The Father's protection. You know, in some uh, translations, it will say not only, but deliver us from evil, it says, but deliver us from the evil one. Because this is a, a direct reference to what it is that we are really up against. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, the Bible says that we are in a real battle. It is against darkness. It's genuine evil. And leading these forces is not a mystical figure, but a real living individual. His name is Satan. And while he may not personally know you by name, his demons do. And the ones that have been sent to cause you a miserable existence, they do know you. We looked at the aspect of spiritual warfare in the second message on this series. And it's real. It's very, very real. 
The Bible tells us that Satan has an agenda. He's got an agenda. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in a given, any given uh, moment, uh, we would all be slaughtered and gone if it were left up to him. But it's not left up to him. Kurt Koch, in his book called The Devil's Alphabet, he had this to say about our adversary, the devil. Now, I think you're going to find this interesting. He said this. He said, the devil is a many-sided and versatile demagogue. Here's what he means by that. To the psychologist, he says, I will give you new knowledge and understanding. To the occultist, he says, I will give you the keys to the last secrets of creation. He confronts those who are religious and the moralists with a mask of integrity, and he promises them the very help of heaven. And finally, to the rationalist or the liberalist, he says, I'm not even here. I do not even exist. Well, the devil is a skillful strategist. He is the master of every tactic of the battlefield. He has perfected the dialogue of empty religious talk. He operates through the use of the latest scientific methods. He successfully fires and launches his arguments, and we see that all the time on social media. And his sole aim is to deceive, is to entice, and it is to ensnare everyone today a lot of people make light of satan and his tactics society has painted our adversary uh with a goatee he's got a tail he's red uh pitchfork and all these kinds of pictures um he's downplayed so much that to even profess or to even acknowledge his existence uh, brings about ridicule and scoffing. In fact, in a recent poll, over 78% of Americans do not believe in the existence of a real devil. 78%. But it's interesting to me that that same percentage, the vast majority of that percentage, they all believe they're going to heaven. And they believe in Jesus. They don't know him. They know about him. But they're going to go to heaven. But the very one that Jesus himself talked about, the very one that Jesus himself dealt with, they don't believe that part. Isn't that interesting? It's a two-sided coin, y'all. People today do not seem very concerned about him and about his motivations. Now, this is to the older group in the room, who remember the comedian Flip Wilson? Okay. His, his really popular line that he would say all the time, if you, does anyone remember it? Oh, you guys are scary good. That is good. That's right. He would say, the devil made me do it. Well, you know what? If that's true, then you blew it. We cannot, we have to be aware of the schemes of Satan. Um, you know what the Bible, how does the Bible describe Satan? He's an angel of light. He is still, right now, 
Right now, he is still an angel of light. He doesn't have, he's not red, doesn't have a tail, there's no pitchfork. He's the most beautiful of all the angels right now. When he was in heaven, before he was kicked out, he was in charge of gathering worship. So he was the music minister. And it wasn't, not to say anything by that, that's his role. He can sing a sweet, sweet song. But he's pure evil. That is why the Bible says uh, he's described as an angel of light. Listen, we're going to run to the light. We're not going to run away from it. And that's why the Bible says he is so deadly. Because he will distract you. He will distort you. He will destroy you. He, will, he is the embodiment of everything that is evil. You know, for, as believers today, we, we fight two different battles. While we live, we have two battlefronts that we're on. The first one is we battle the sin from within. Every single one of us here in this room daily battles this thing that we call sin. Why? Because we're going to willingly uh, run to the darkness. We're going to do the things that is wrong. We are going to rebel against what we know to do by nature, by sin, our sinful nature. Every single one of us in this room, we will wrestle with sin until the day that we die. Uh, all through Paul's epistles, we read about this. Uh, Paul himself said, the very thing I don't want to do, I do it. But then as a means of hope, he says, but the one thing I will do, I will press on. In other words, every time I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up. And I'm going to run towards Jesus, and I'm going to eventually, I'm going to get it right. It doesn't matter, y'all, how many times you're getting it wrong. Get up and get going until you get it right. And that's the most important thing. And Paul talks about that. Um, we know that the power of sin has been broken because of the work of Christ. And uh, we have received the forgiveness based upon the work that he did when we placed our faith and trust in him. But we're going to fight against this sin from within and then secondly we do not battle the sin from within but we also battle uh, satan from without jesus dealt with satan and we deal with him too satan is active in fact you'll see this up on the screen in first peter 5 8 the bible says be sober be vigilant. your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour now i don't know if you've ever been able to get really up close and uh, and, and upfront personal with a real lion but if you have you'll take note of just how little you are to that really big kitty cat and Next time you're at the zoo and you see that lion up close, or maybe it's stuffed in someone's living room, whatever, you take a look at that big old cat and you run that verse through your head. What is Satan like? He is like a roaring lion. 
He's got one goal, one agenda. He wants to hurt God as much as he can hurt God. And you know the number one way he can hurt God is by getting to you. Why? Because he is our father. What father wants to see pain and misery on their, on their children? Now we know one day, the day is coming when God will do away with him, and that is going to be the greatest day ever. But until that time comes, we do battle Satan from without. And you know what? Just as when Peter reminds us of this truth that we read, he went on and he said these words, But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in this world. You know what he is saying by that? You're not alone. Everything that's going on with you, you're not alone. You're not the only one to go through whatever it is that you're going through. If there is something that is dragging you back, you're not alone. We often feel alone. Satan is really good at trying to remind us you're the only one doing what you're doing. Nobody's going to understand your sin. He's really good at that. And Peter says right here, no, you're not alone. There's a lot of people just like you out there, but they're too prideful to admit it. And Peter says, resist him. Resist that. We are all too familiar, too, with what occurs when Satan goes after us. We have the book of Job that reminds us what would happen if Satan has his way, don't we? The book of Job. A similar picture of Satan's attack can be seen in Luke 22. 31, you'll see this one too. This is when Jesus told Peter, Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. What would you do if Jesus says to you, but I pray for you? (laughs) Now that's a prayer partner I would love to have. And guess what? The Bible makes it really clear. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Did you know that? He intercedes for you. You know that by the time you go to bed tonight, I, I, who, how does this work? Nobody knows how this works. I just believe it. If God said it, then you know it's true. He prays for you. He lifts you up. And that's what Jesus was telling Peter. He says, I've prayed for you that you would be steadfast. Did Peter struggle, especially towards the end? Oh, yeah. Satan was really sifting Peter like crazy. You know, one of the coolest stories in the Bible, we know that Peter denied Jesus those three times. We know that. And on the third time of his denial, the Bible says Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Now, he's beaten. He has been all night long with the Romans. He has been scourged. He is barely, he's barely hanging on. Peter now, his, his faithful follower, has denied him three times. Jesus looks at him. The minute he looks at him, in the distance somewhere, a rooster crows. And when that rooster crows, that was a reminder to Peter that Jesus had warned him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And that came off the proclamation that Peter said to Jesus, Lord, 
if all these disciples, they fall from you, guess what? You still got me. I'm going to be right here. I mean, I, I know they're, they're, they're weak, and they're not really as good as I am as far as commitment goes. I'm going to be here with you. And that's when Jesus told him, Peter, I got news for you. Tonight you're going to deny me, not even once, but three times. Satan was really sifting Peter. Now fast forward through the resurrection. Peter and James, they're out there on, on a boat. John, Peter and John, they're on a boat. They're fishing. They hadn't caught anything. They went back to their old ways. Why? Because they saw their Messiah crucified. Well, I guess he wasn't the one after all. So they're out there and they're fishing. They caught nothing. And all of a sudden, they hear someone on the seashore shout out to them, throw your nets on the other side and your cat's something. For whatever reason, they did it. And when they did it, they caught so much fish that the boat started to sink. That's a good problem to have if you're a fisherman. And that has happened once before. And the moment that happened, John screamed, It's the Lord! And the Bible says he started paddling, but Peter, being Peter, he jumps out and he starts swimming, probably thinking he's going to beat John to the, to the seashore. They get to the seashore, and Jesus is cooking fish. He already has fish cooked, sitting there on the fire, ready for them to come in. And an interesting thing takes place. They're sitting around, they're eating. Peter isn't saying a single word. Why? Because he can't get himself out of the pit of shame. Jesus goes up to him and P uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love you, Lord. He says, well, feed my sheep. Now, eat a little bit more. And you know nothing's being said because it's not written down. Peter, do you love me? He says that a second time. Peter looks at him and says, yeah. Jesus says, well, tend my lambs. And they go back to eating. And a little bit later, Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And at that, the Bible says Peter was grieved. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. You know why Jesus did that? Because Peter, he knew Peter. He knew Peter's worst enemy was himself. He had just denied the Lord three times earlier. And it's been some time later, not a long time, some time later, and this was Jesus' way of telling that one who was really sifted by, by Satan. Right now, he didn't have confidence in his little finger, much less anything else. This was Jesus' way of pulling him back up. And for every single time, Peter, that you denied me, every single time you have told me that you love me, I'm taking your love, Peter. Every single defeating thing that was going on inside of Peter, Jesus just took it and threw it out. Jesus forgave him. But Jesus wanted him to see, I want you to forgive yourself, Peter. 
That's why forgiveness is such a big thing. Not in forgiving others, but maybe you're here today. Maybe there's that one thing that you keep doing and you keep blowing it. And you just hate yourself for it. It's like, how do I get out of this pit? You try one more time. And then you try one more time. And you keep going. Eventually, you're going to get out of that pit. Talk to someone that can help you. You get some accountability. But you don't buy the lie that the adversary that got you in that place is the same one who's now condemning you for being there. Don't buy into that. Jesus had to talk to Peter three different times in order for Peter to forgive himself, and it worked. Read the book of Acts. Because believers are under constant attack, the Lord reminds us we are to pray, asking for protection from the evil one. Believers are always, we are always in the devil's crosshairs. Both believers and believers, but his biggest focus, obviously, is on believers. But the good news, the good news is in knowing who it is that is in charge. Amen? That is the good news. While Satan will promise you the world, he doesn't own a grain of sand. Think about that. While Satan is mighty, he is not almighty. And God has given us the ultimate weapon to use against Satan. It's prayer. It's prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This is the Father's power. The Father's power. As we approach the closing of the prayer our thoughts are again redirected to God's throne and His interest. We are reminded of God's power. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, as Jesus said. These concluding words accomplish the same purpose as to what we saw in the beginning. They literally refocus us back on God and the plans that He has for each one of us. We have just been taught to ask for, for, uh, for protection for the, from the rebel prince of the power of the air, a world that denies or defies God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory. And now we are reminded that Satan is a usurper, that the kingdom uh, is actually God's kingdom, and his power is omnipotent. And Satan is impotent before that power and that God's glory is going to be displayed in this world. It is going to happen. In other words, as the prayer draws to a conclusion, it reaffirms God's intentions to set up his kingdom here in the millennial age while all, while all the earth shall be filled, as it says in Numbers fourteen twenty one, with the glory of of the lord the day it's coming it's going to happen it's going to take place and then he ends it with forever amen and this is the father's permanence the final phase of the prayer forever teaches us to think of god's permanence it is forever for all time and then some it is forever 
To that we say, amen. To that we say, so be it. It's forever. The great theologian, Clint Eastwood, would say, I reckon so. It is forever. It is forever. And as we think on that term forever, I want you to notice something that is really, really interesting. Let me ask you this first. How many of y'all have a place, maybe it's stored away, whatever it is, a a bag, a box, whatever. You keep cards that were written to you from loved ones that they it's it's very very special to you or maybe a picture that you kept when your child was young and they drew a picture just for you and you kind of kept that you didn't throw it away and you all do that or is it just me you hang on to those pictures especially from if you have one from your grandmother i mean what a picture here grandma getting baptized at the age of 82 that is amazing But we hang on to this stuff. Why? Because when we look at these letters or when we look at these pictures, these drawings, and they really tug at our hearts, we remember what that person feels about us. That's the reason why we keep this stuff. It's like you've heard people say before, if there's a fire in the house and you only have a few minutes, what what are you going to grab? You always hear someone say, pictures. It's the pictures. The pictures are the same way. It's like that letter that you got that just blessed you all the way. I want you to think about that because I want you to think on this. Why do we do this? We do this because it is a reminder of what they mean to us and how they feel about us. Did you know, have you ever considered the fact that God does the exact same thing? He does the bible tells us the exact same thing with you and with you and with you and with me god does the exact same thing i've shared this before and i'm going to share this again as we wrap up this up because this is really powerful there is a future event in the bible that the Bible talks about when Jesus is going to take his throne. And right now, at this moment, he is going to be center stage. This, the instant that he does this, the Bible says there will be uh, four beasts and four living creatures before him. And the Bible says they will completely hit the floor the moment he gets in position. The four living creatures are described with each creature is very, very different. And when you look at these four creatures, they literally represent the entire animal kingdom. And then you have these four beasts that represent the four corners of the earth. All of creation is gathered at this moment and Jesus takes center stage. He takes his throne. And the Bible says the moment he takes that throne, they fall. They go down. There are millions of angels gathered 
all around. And they start to fly. And you talk about the ultimate of a reaction of winning a Super Bowl moment. Nothing is going to compare to when this moment takes place. Nothing. Nothing will take what will compare. They know upon whom they stand in front of. They know. And as they fall before him, they present to him the most cherished of all gifts. And they throw these gifts at his feet. At his feet. They have had plenty of time to think about this moment. And when this moment takes place, and we're told about this moment when it does take place, they throw at his feet the most precious gifts they could give. These are gifts not for a king, but for the king of kings. Why do they give them? Why do they give them? The Bible tells us. In Revelation 5.8, the Bible says this. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. That's Jesus. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Which are the prayers of the saints. Remember we talked a little while back? You know the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you became a saint. When you go home and your spouse gets on to you today, you can remind your spouse, careful, I am a saint. The Bible calls me a saint. It, it feels weird. We don't use those terms. We don't, we don't use those terms. But other people do. In other parts of the earth. But you're called a saint. And the Bible says, when they throw these bowls full of incense. Well, what's the incense? God likes incense. What are, what's the, where does he get it at? The incense are the prayers of the saints. They know what pleases him the most. And what do they give him? They give him your prayers. Dottie, every time you pray, it gets stored before God. And one day, it's going to be thrown at his feet. Every single time you've had a problem and you needed God to, to intervene and do something in your life, that was the most cherished thing to God and that's going to be thrown at his feet one day. Why? Because you chose him to help you fight that battle rather than you taking it on yourself. He is our father. He's our father. The Bible says, just like you and me, when we keep these letters and we keep these million-dollar paintings that our children give us and we do all these things that are priceless, the same thing is done and it's just thrown at his feet. Why? Because you've been talking to God. I can tell you this. It is safe to conclude this. Our prayers are not near as important to us as they are to the one who made us. And that is the truth. You may be here right now this morning. You may not even feel like you matter or you make a difference. Well, right here, it tells us 
the importance of your prayers to a God who made you. And this Bible tells us how much He values you when you talk to Him. You might say, well, I'm not good at praying. Praying is just talking to God. If you can talk, you can pray. And if you're, well, I don't pray as well as these people over here. Well, how do you know God's hearing these people? We can impress others by using really big, fancy words. You know, that doesn't mean anything to God. You can read yourself before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus addresses that in that passage in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. You can read that on your own later. He just wants you to talk to Him. The power of prayer is not in the one who is praying, it is the one who we are praying to. That is the power of our prayers. And that's what Jesus wants us to remember. Oswald Chambers said it best when he said this. The purpose of prayer is to get a hold of God, not the answer. I've said this, I can't tell you how many times I've said this, right after I became a believer, when I was in college, because I wasn't raised in a Christian home, when I became a Christian, early on, I made this comment to the guy that was influential in me becoming a Christian. He was talking to me about prayer. I always had like 100 million questions a day because I didn't know anything. And I remember one time as I was talking to him, and he asked me about, well, how's your prayer life going? Well, I don't know. What does that mean? You mean, am I praying? Yeah, I'm praying. Yeah, 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 you bet. And I remember Arlo asked me one time, he says, well, is he answering? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple that are, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, you mean like, the big stuff, the big stuff I'm still praying on, but I'm not going to give up. And then I, I told him this. I said, you know what, Arlo? I, I, it would be, I'd be great if he always said yes to everything. I said, can you imagine how much trouble you would be in if he always said yes to what you want? We would be up a, up a creek. I told Arlo, I said, you know, Arlo, it'd be great if he always answered our prayers with a Yes. I don't even care if he answers with a no. The one thing that matters most to me is this. When I pray, I just want to know that he's hearing me. I am good with whatever he wants to do. I just want to know that he's hearing me. And I tell you what, I said that early on as I was stumbling, bumbling through the walk of being a Christian growing up. And all these years later, the most important thing that matters to me is I want to know that He's hearing me. And the Bible makes it really clear we need to be walking with God if He's going to hear us. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man will accomplish much, James says. If I inquire iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If we walk with Him, if we're following Him, talk to Him all you want because He's hearing every single word that you're saying. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. God, we want to thank you for uh, giving us this pattern that we have to look at that we call the Lord's Prayer. But God, what we know it is, it's, it's just uh, a plan that you have told us 
to keep these certain parts of the prayer in front of us to help us to remember as a guide how to pray when we're trying to get your attention. Lord, right now, we want to ask that you would be with Sonia Baker and her family. It's going to be a tough week. It's been a tough week. And God, we just ask that you would be with her and comfort her and help her. Lord, we know you're hearing that prayer. God, we want to pray and ask that you would really move in the life of our church. God, we want, we want to ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead, guide, direct, change, empower, move, and use all of us in this room. God, I would think that all of us would want more out of our lives, spiritually speaking, than, than anything else. And I pray, God, that you would help us to discover what it means to really walk with you. God, it is my prayer that through this study that we would revisit this thing that we call prayer. God, that maybe we would raise that bar in our lives just a little bit higher by the amount of time that we spend talking to you. God, we know that you have a plan for us. We know that you love us. And we just want to ask God that you would just visit with us. God, I just want to ask you'll bless everyone for coming out today. God, I want to ask that you'll bless those who are baptized today. And Lord, we just ask that you will continue moving uh, the, uh, before us, God, and show us the work that you have for us in this community. God, we just want to say last, above all else, God, we love you because of all that you have done for us. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.